Okay. Excuse me. Romans 6, verse 15. Okay. Romans 6, verse 15. If you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel weird. Raise your hand. We'll give you a Bible. Um, you can either just use this just in service, or um, if you don't own a Bible whatsoever, it's our free gift to you. Please take it, read it, love it, share it, the whole deal. If you just forgot your say, take it, leave it on the way out. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 6, verse 15. While you're turning, I'm going to have some more water. Okay. Um, here's what we've been doing. We're in like week 30, I think, of Romans. Okay, so we're talking five or six months going through the book of Romans um, and, and just really breaking it down, seeing that, God, what do you want for us as a congregation? As I approached today's text, I really began to realize that there's an opportunity here, even at the start, and I'll get there in just a moment, to begin to see how Scripture can form us, even how we can take the opportunity to allow Scripture to form us and mold us into what Christ would have us look like, even if it's not crazy apparent in the text in the moment, okay? Uh, and, And you'll see what I'm saying in just a moment. But I want to go back, right? Because here's what we see. From the beginning of Romans, we've said this a lot, that Paul is creating this overarching argument about our need for a Savior. But guess what? He gives us good news. That Savior is Jesus, right? So there is, there is a solution. There is a Savior. And so it's good news. It's the gospel, right? Now, in the midst of that argument, it seems like every chapter is almost another mini-argument that supports the greater argument. And in chapter 6, to begin to even look this week and look back over the, last, the first three weeks of chapter 6 that we've looked at, man, I saw there's almost this like mini five-week series in the midst of this, I don't know, like 120-week series or whatever we're doing, okay? There's this mini five-week series that is going to break us down and show us something greater about our true reality and identity that maybe we understand the surface level of, but I don't know how deep we actually get with it because some of the language gets a little murky, that reality for us today, okay, is that we're all slaves, okay? Um, that every one of us, and you heard it when, when Anthony read, that we're all slaves to something. And we'll get to what in just a moment. But, but this is what I'm talking about. So a moment for us to be formed and shaped by the character of God. As I started to talk to different people, and there's a group of us that from time to time will prep sermons together along with our other congregations down in the valley, okay? And so I'm sitting down, and we have a a pastor uh, down at Redemption Tempe named Ricardo, and he's an African-American male, okay? Um, And he starts talking to me about this text, and and so does another guy, Oye, who's another black male. And then we started going through this text, and all of a sudden, something became very apparent that the truth is that when I read what it means to be a slave to Christ— it does not carry the same baggage along with it as it does for these guys. And listen, that is a real thing for us. See, what happens is if we approach the text today, as we approach, in the Greek is the word doulos, okay? In the Greek, if we approach doulos with an American cultural context, I fear we just check out right now because slavery sounds all bad. And, and listen, honestly, from history's perspective, it, it was. I mean, there was, there was no redeeming parts of slavery in America. It just was not there. Okay? And so what I want us to do, we need to naturally to uh, reorient our minds right now to see what God's saying. Okay? And, and not approach a kind of this, uh, come from an angle with which it, it's not actually saying. Now, here's the truth, though. For us, most of us aren't approaching the text like that anyway. Okay? Which brings up the other part that I really want to talk about just as we get started. It is necessary for the people of God Okay, and not just for me, who's teaching, but for all of us who want to be responsible to Scripture, 
to be able to take Scripture and push it through a cultural lens and context. Because if we do not do that, I fear the words never actually reach the heart and soul of the individual we're trying to preach to. Here's what I'm saying. If, if, when, we talk, when I was in this conversation with these guys, they said, okay, if you just approach and you go through this text and, and you just don't even take a moment to understand from a cultural perspective that you're saying slavery is a good thing, even if it's in the context of Scripture, that it has heavy negative implication and weight on the way we receive it. It is the responsibility of those who would seek to preach Scripture and preach Jesus to take truth, not cut it down, not sell it short, but to take exactly what it is, but push it through a cultural context so that it falls on the heart and the ear the way it's supposed to be instead of the barriers that sometimes in our speech we create. And two weeks ago when we had our one-year anniversary, we started talking about, what, man, what do we want our church to look like as we move forward, right? What do we want to be shaped by? What do we want to be known about? All that. This is one of those things we have to be known about, Okay. That we understand that people have a different story, that they have different backgrounds, that they carry different things into the words and conversations that we have. If you go online, even look at our website, one of the values that we share is diversity. Okay. Here's my fear with the word diversity. Ready? Is that oftentimes diversity becomes nothing more than me or any one of us being able to look out over a room and say, you know what, we have enough percentages of different colors and shades that we look diverse. And that all of a sudden becomes the epitome of diversity is will our statistics show it? That is, that is a sham if that's what we aim for in diversity. And honestly, the way we speak, how we communicate, especially how we communicate scripture, okay, is going to determine really what diversity looks like for us as a body. Okay? Diversity is not just a checkbox. It's, uh, it's not just this moment for us to call out something that it looks a certain uh, way or co- whatever. It's about people coming together, not just color, right? Not just race, but background, ethnicity, story, gender, all of that coming together in a melting pot to say, not just, okay, get in my room so we can call it diverse. It's get in my room so I can learn from you. It's get in my room because I understand you have something that I don't have and you have something I don't have and on and on. And as we come together, we learn more about God. That is diversity. And it has to shape us and form us. And that's why it's important. And that's why, listen, this really has little to do with actually what we'll talk about. But I wanted to take that moment because as we move forward, I want us to understand that the words that we say and how we preach they communicate and they fall on ears through a cultural lens that we all have to understand. And I'm not naive enough to think that even the people in this room, right, always swallow everything that I say up here well. I understand that sometimes it falls on hard hearts. It falls on experience. It falls on pain and hurt and anguish. And so when it's called out, it hurts and cuts deep. And so my hope is for us that we would just be a people enlightened by the gospel, that would communicate the, the Bible clearly, okay? And so I just want to say thanks for letting me have that moment, right? That's really all that was. Now, um, the slavery we'll talk about today, though, in the midst of this, it's not American cultural Christianity, okay? It's not what we saw, right? It's not what we saw in 1800. That's not what's happening. So, um, but the implications, I would dare say, are even greater, Okay? So for as much as we've studied and we know about the Civil War and all of the... Listen, this is a greater story, and here's why. 
because this slavery is comprehensive over all mankind. That it, it, it doesn't choose, it is not biased towards one people group, it's not biased towards one gender, it is comprehensive over all of creation. That is the slavery we talk about tonight. And it's something that we have to understand. We have to, I say this, we have to understand. My, my whole goal tonight is that we would walk out of this place and understand, and not just, not just understand, but hope for this new reality that we are no longer slaves to God, that we have not been, listen, uh, sorry, not long, we're no longer slaves to sin. So in our freedom, okay, um, he didn't free us into nothing, right? So, so he didn't pull us from slavery that we would just be free in and of ourselves with no master, nothing to do. We walk around aimless doing whatever we want. No, no, we are slaved, in, uh, freed into new slavery. And my goal is, is that we would get that reality, get that identity, and that we would hope and rejoice in it. And, and I get how hard that, listen, none of us want to be enslaved, but the argument I think Paul makes for us is that we are to hope and to rejoice in the slavery that we are, that we have to God because just of the way it positions us before him and before culture and before one another. Okay, So that's it. Let's get started. Verse 15. It says, What then... Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, if you remember, uh, at the start of chapter 6, in the first uh, verse, he gives another one of these rhetorical questions. Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means, he says. Right? Should we continue to sin? Because if we continue to sin, it seems like grace just gets bigger. And if grace gets bigger, isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't we just go on sinning? And he says, by no means. And again, with this question. We to sin because we are not under law, but under grace. Think about it this way. Since, since sin has lost its power on us, if now we are no longer under law, but under grace, since sin has lost its power, since it's lost its chance at victory, should we not go on sinning? In other words, what's the big deal? Right? What's the big deal? It's like this. Uh, if you at all know sports, you don't have to play them, but if you've ever been on a team of any kind in which there was training or practice involved, and you went to your coach and you said, listen, coach, I know victory is certain, so I'm not coming to practice. Who can imagine that going well to your coach? Right? Coach, oh, good. All right, have the day off. No. Listen, we practice because we're on the team. Right? In other words... We are, the implications of what we're about to read about our slavery, those are realities for, for us because we're on the team, because we're in God's family. And so we're speaking to two very different audiences tonight. One audience are those of us in the room that have given our lives to Christ, faith, hope, the whole deal. We've poured into who Jesus is. That's where we want to be. We believe in him. And so listen, what this does for us tonight, it's going to tell you and tell me who we are, right? Uh, it's going to give us reality and identity. And then for those who do not know Christ, it gives reality and identity. Next week, because next week we'll get to the implications of the reality, but today all I want us to do is just sit in the reality of what God has done with us now. With this conviction at my, in heart, that as we truly begin to learn more about who God, who Christ, who the Holy Spirit has made us to be, 
Listen, the walking this thing out, the stuff we talked about last week, remember it was like, okay, so we've been set free from sin, how do we walk this out, that same deal. The more we are motivated by knowing our true identity, our true reality, man, I tell you, you guys will walk in freedom all the days of your life. But it starts by just sitting in this new reality that, believe it or not, listen, slavery to God is a, it's not just a good thing, it is the best thing for you. Okay? The absolute best thing for you, <coughs> excuse me, and for me. Um, over the last couple weeks, listen, we talked about Anthony came up and preached and said, uh, told us we've been set free from sin. That was week two in this kind of five-week mini deal. And then last week we talked about the rails, how we walk in this. And I'll be honest, I've had some great conversations with a lot of you. I mean, even people in this room where we've sat down, we've had them, we said, and they said, this is what's going on in my life. And I think you're right. I think it's I think it's kind of destroying me. Like, I, I think it's taking me places I don't want to go. I think it's not allowing me to find the joy and fulfillment that I'm supposed to find in Christ. And, and I was like, good, you know, like, case closed, let's go. You know, and so um, I've been really encouraged by those conversations. In the midst of those, though, there have been also multiple conversations where we've spoken and talked through the sin and really landed on, I still don't care, Okay. I still don't care. Listen, this is, this is what I want. This is, this is where, okay, and I said, that's be there. Like, live there. That's fine. Um, but know that my contention will be that you're missing out, right? Not, not, my contention is not shame on you, feel the guilt, feel the way. It's there's something more. There's something better that God has in store, Okay. And again, that's where I want our motives to be even as we go. All right, next verse. Verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present to lift up, to offer up, to give up yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay, so you have these two options, and he lays out a few things. The first one, yeah, excuse me, the first implication, everyone is enslaved. And we've already said it, but that's the reality. He doesn't give a third option here. It's, listen, you're either enslaved to sin, which leads to death, or enslaved to obedience, which leads to righteousness. These are the two realities, identities for humanity. That's a tough, tough reality to swallow. That if we look across the landscape of this world, every single human would fall in one of these two camps. Amidst all the diversity in the world, really the greatest thing that we must look at is what camp, what paradigm are we existing in? Okay? Is it sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? Which, which do we choose or rather which do we sit in? I think would be more apt for us to understand. Um, amidst these two choices, I began to think about, okay, sin leading to death. Now, raise your hand if, you're pro, if you want to die. Great, that's perfect for my illustration. So uh, no one, okay, if I sit down with you and say, listen, this sin is going to lead to death, and if you believe me, right, and if you believe the Bible, not many of you would say, yeah, I, I want that, right? You're like, you know, that sounds still great, still great, I want that, okay? So I said, okay, maybe, maybe just how bad that sounds, we'll, we'll jump over to this other side. But then I began to look at the other side and what's offered to us, and, and sometimes here's what I feel like. I feel like when we're over here and we're sitting in sin and we think about it, this side doesn't seem that good, but my guess is it's because we don't actually see it clear for what it is. And I even began to think about this idea as we looked at this word righteousness 
Now, if I offered you anything in the world, right? If I said, hey, Carly, I'm going to give you a million dollars, a yacht of your choice, a mansion, free trips anywhere in the world, free scholarship, or righteousness, right? You'll probably, I know you, you'll probably choose righteousness. Let me choose someone else who's less Christian. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> just kidding. No, okay, I'm not going to do actual person. But listen, if I gave you these, or let me do this. If I gave the average non-believer, me, up to 18 years old, okay? If I gave myself those six options, I choose these five first, and then maybe this one last. Maybe. I want, what for? When, when I began to read this, I thought, man, what? That's my other option? So it's death, which, yeah, it surely sounds bad, but my other option is righteousness. Like, since when was the last time that righteous was, like, a good adjective? Like, 1970s Endless Summer was the last thing I can think of where righteous... Oh, actually, it's not true. Someone used Finding Nemo, which, if you get remember the, the turtle, I'm not going to do it, but you guys remember the turtle. But that's it. I mean, it's like literally like two cultural versions of where... So I think in our minds, here's a reality. This just doesn't seem that great. This just doesn't seem that great. I was talking with a girl just after this last service. And she came up and, and confessed some stuff to me and said, this is what's going on, and I do love God, but I, I don't know, and I'm struggling with this. I said, well, what you're doing, do you believe it to be, do you believe it to be sinful? Like, is that against what God would have for you? And she said, yes. I said, well, then to me, I think the bigger question you need to ask yourself is, do you trust God? Like, do you, I said, do you trust that what God says is actually the best plan for your life? Or did he drop the ball with you? I mean, do, do you believe that walking in what God has stated is the best version of this life, where there is most joy and fulfillment found? Either God is saying that and you should walk in that, or, you know, God, I don't believe you. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I said, that's, if, if you believe it's sin, that, that's, the, that's the wrestling match right there. Do, you really, do we, listen, do we really believe God is telling the truth when he says the life that our lives are best lived in the context of this paradigm, right? In this scope, in this world where we walk in what God would have for us in freedom and in obedience. But I think, beginning again, to think about these kind of two different worlds, right? You have kind of God's righteousness that he's demanding. And I began to think, righteousness is not something that is, that is like only God's, if that makes sense. He doesn't have uh, autonomy over that word. In other words, let me... Let me say it like this. God has a certain standard, and we'll come to it in just a moment, the standard of teaching. He's a certain standard with which we are to be righteous within that. Okay? Now, the world has its own set of standards and ideals that we can also be righteous in. In other words, if we live according to the perfection that our culture has laid out for us, we are exemplifying righteousness unto this person, sin, world, whatever, as opposed to God. And so, again, the question isn't so much, will there be righteousness? It's just, to which direction do we seek it? And so I thought about a few things. The first one being, <coughs> excuse me, being money, right? So money. God says about money to be satisfied with what you have. Right? To be satisfied, to understand he's provided everything, be satisfied in what you have. And then in the midst of that satisfaction, be generous. Right? If, if you have a friend in need, give. Be generous with your finances. Okay? In the midst of that, 
He says to be a wise steward of your finances, right? So realize everything's given by him. It's a provision thing. We manage it well for the glory of God, right? Now, the, uh, the culture, our culture, the world tends to say, no, don't be satisfied. You know, you need to get more. It, if you only got some, you need more. And if you've got more, you still need more. Okay, I mean, that's, and, and, I'll, and I've used this here before, but they, they did a, uh, an illust- or a study, and um, they asked a guy who makes $900 a month, a guy who makes $1,900, $2,900, $3,900, all the way up to $9,900 a month, which is crazy, right? Um, all the way up to that number, and every, every little bracket in between at $1,000 increments, and they said, listen, how much more money would you need per month for you to feel satisfied with your wealth, okay? Every single bracket, right? 9, 19, 29, 39, on down the road, every single one said $1,000 more. That at 900, if I could have $1,000 more, then I'd be good. The person at 9,900 said, I just need about 1,000 more, and then I'd be satisfied. See, the righteousness over here says, no, keep getting more, keep accumulating. It doesn't speak to generosity. It says to take your own, to get rich, to have that going. And this last one, it doesn't say anything about being wise stewards. Instead, it says flaunt it. It says put it out there. I was actually at Rendezvous the other day having a fantastic chai. If you guys haven't had the chai there, it's fantastic. Um, And I was just there uh, doing some work, (coughs) having a chai. And I overhear a guy, kid you not, and he's talking to his buddy, and he's saying, listen, man, if just, if just one time, like one time, if I'm able, if I could just walk into a club and just make it rain, right? And it, does everyone know what make it rain means? Like you walk with the money, right? Doing this, and it's falling, and I'm on the ground actually picking it up, you know, like I'm down there like a snake. And just, just getting wealthy, right? And, so, and then, you know, actually I was thinking about this because I said that this morning, and I thought, how great would it be if you saw someone do that, you rounded up all their money, donated it to a charity, and said, this amount has been donated to charity on your behalf? That'd be fantastic. Um, if anyone wants to do that and let me know how it goes, that'd be, that'd be great. And if you want to donate here, that'd be even better. Um, and so I thought, okay, so it's more, and he says, if I could just once make it rain, I could die a happy man, right? I, now, was he probably being a little facetious? Does he want probably a little more in life? I hope so, right? But the reality is that is now, in a cultural context, what the elite do. And you just got to watch a few music videos, watch a few movies, talk to a few people, and this all of a sudden has replaced wise shepherding and steward of provision that God's given us. We can be righteous in the world's sight with how they treat money. The next one, sex. God says, it's a man and a wife, right? It's reserved for a man and a wife. It is that great intimate moment between husband and between wife. It is to be reserved for that moment, not outside of it. That's his ideal. From a sensuality perspective, it says, no, it's about modesty. Not modesty in a prudish way, but modesty that says, my value is in the image of God and not in anything you would ascribe or Hollywood would ascribe to me. Lastly, it's about the other person. Just like everything that we do as Christians, we are to serve the people around us, consider others better than ourselves. Sex is, is none the different. Okay? The culture says, no, it's not about husband and wife. It's how many partners can you have? 
I mean, right? I mean, how many times do you have to watch a movie where they make fun of the virgin? Okay? How, how many different TV shows? How many, on down the line. It's about the more, the merrier. Okay? Load it up. Do your thing. Okay? And that is celebrated. It is righteous in the world's eyes to live in that way. On down the line. Um, it's not about modesty from a healthy perspective of knowing your value. It's about putting it out there. Okay? It's, it's about, listen, how, how sexy can you look? How many different outfits can you own that show off what you, how many hours you've been at the gym? This is male and female. It's not about understanding your value. It's about taking that value from other people in the way that they would look or treat you. And it's, uh, it's about yourself, and it's not about the other person. Okay? Probably the, on- the only thing that they have in common is that both, both God and the world says it's supposed to be fun. All right? And it is. So... Sorry, babe. You weren't even listening, were you? Good. She missed that one. Next one, career. (laughs) Moving on. Career. God says that your career, your occupation, listen, you guys are in school, and so you're going to school, you're hopefully going to get jobs and stuff, um, I would hope, Uh, and uh, unless you're a philosophy major. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and so you're, I had a buddy always used to say that philosophy majors are more majoring in an unemployment, but I apologize for that one. That was him. Um, but listen, so God says, no, your, your career, your occupation, you've been not only given that job, but you've been equipped by God to even have it. That, that you don't move yourself. You don't breathe yourself. You didn't have the mind to sit through all the classes you've sat through, that God has given you every provision to even get that degree to get that job. So that's... Righteous in God's eyes. So that we might work hard. Why? For his glory. Right? So that our work would glorify God and make him look great. Okay? That's, that's the end of our work. Now, listen, the other side. This side. Okay, last one we'll say. Uh, the culture's take on career is, um, no, be a self-made man. Is that? I mean, we hear that all the time. It's about you bettering yourself. Get to a point where you're so good at what you do, you're indispensable. It's all about you. How can you make self-help books are the number one selling books in the world? Okay? Self-made man. Gets lifted up, exalted. And so that we, ready? That we work hard, but not for God's glory, but for our own. Okay, so, so again, righteousness is not, it's not a monopoly for God. To, so what Paul is trying to communicate is that all of us are enslaved to something and ascribe righteousness to those things. The good news is about to come in verse 17. But thanks be to God, which is always a good thing to read in Scripture. Because usually it's bad news, and then God comes in, or, well, Paul, but also God, uh, comes in, but thanks be to God. So in other words, what's coming next, we need to pay attention to. It's good news. Ready? That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. But thanks be to God. Ready? We were. And again, this, this, the audience, this is for those who are in Christ that I speak to right now. We were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. It was the main influence. It called us. It pulled us. We didn't have a choice. We were under sin's power and reign. We were headed towards death, and we are disobedient to our Creator. Okay? That was the reality, the identity of who we were. Notice, it wasn't you acted this way, you chose this, you did this. It wasn't an external. It was an identity issue. We were slaves to sin. 
We were. So the good news, we are, we have become rather slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. God's righteousness. Right? That we're under God's power and reign and not sins. That we're headed towards not death, but life. And now instead of being obedient or disobedient to the Creator, we're now obedient from the heart. And let me say this. Obedience from the heart. Listen, there are a couple enemies to obedience, right? Obedience from the heart. One is, well, disobedience, right? Not a shock, it's the antonym, as we call it, okay? Um, disobedience is, is against obedience. But there's another thing. It's not just about obedience in and of itself. Notice, it's obedience that starts in here and then works itself out. In other words, it is a motive Thing It is a position and posture of your soul and of your heart. This is in direct contrast to an obedience that's based in moralism, right? That's based in you trying to look good before one another in God. Theologically, we call this moralistic therapeutic deism, okay? Moralistic therapeutic deism that we would ascribe belief to a God, to a deity, but we don't do it for the sake because our hearts are engaged and changed to a new identity, but rather because it treats us well, it ministers to our soul, it makes us feel good, and then we can look good to the world. That is an enemy to what Paul communicates here, which is an obedience that God, listen, has now put in you. Because you've placed faith in him. Not because you woke up this wasn't you didn't wake up this morning and say, Today I'm gonna be a slave to God. No. If you are in Christ, this is your reality. Okay? This is your identity. So the hope that Paul has here is understand who you are in Jesus and now walk in that reality. And that's what we'll get to next week when we start talking about the implications, the blessings, the whole deal about what this looks like for, to, for us to walk out being a slave to righteousness as opposed to a slave to sin. Know your reality. I just started thinking about us as, again as a church and, and, and I want to keep constantly doing this to form us and, and thinking about our future and the way we love the city. I read a book called Good to Great. Has anyone ever read that book? Good to Great? Oh, that's awkward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It is a good book, okay? Um, is there any business majors in here? You guys in what good to great? We're going to talk to me after. All right. Um, <laughs> this is not a Christian book, not a Christian author or anything like that, but what this guy did is he did this big study. I'm just going to talk to you guys. Uh, he did this study, okay? Um, and in the study, he says that he wanted to look at all of these businesses kind of across the country and say, you know, which, which of these businesses kind of went from being pretty good, you know, profitable, decent employees, the whole deal, not a lot of shrinkage, everything, right? And, but they became great companies, right? Companies that, that, that push the limit, that profits soar, that all of these things, all of these categories just were off the charts. What did it take for these companies to go from good companies to become great ones, okay? Every single great company. There was only one common theme amongst all of them. Anyone, anyone want to guess? This is five o'clock. We do whatever. Anyone want to guess? Brandon, you were here this morning, bro. Come on. <laughs> Cheater. That's not it. It's not cheating. Anything, nobody? Be, come on. Creativity? 
No, <laughs> but good. That was good. Thank you for guessing. Business major, way to go. Um, it was employee satisfaction. That across the board, the number one thing, the common denominator for a good business to become great was not innovation. It wasn't a hot new product. It wasn't anything that had to do with the product given. It was employee satisfaction. It was that every man and woman that worked at that company felt that they had an understanding and, and identified with the company. That they believed in its mission. They believed in its vision. They believed where it was going. They understood, man, I am part of this. This is part of my identity. And those companies soared. What I think Paul is trying to communicate here is, listen, we have to, as we seek to see the world change by the power of the gospel, okay, we have to understand how great, we have to up our employee satisfaction. We have to understand how good we have it in Christ. We have to understand the righteousness given, not because we chose it, but because God puts that on us. We'll see in just a moment. He's going to use the word committed, and I'll just say it right now. He says, to the, oh, he already said, to the standard of teaching with which you've been committed, right? This committed is not like this, yeah, I'm committed. I'm going to, no, it's a, um, like rehab. Like, I've, I've committed you to rehab. Like, you have been placed into this situation. This is where you are now. You cannot get out. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, those who are in Christ, regardless of the sin, right, that's floating around, all that, your new reality is that you are obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching to a righteousness that God crafts and shows us and we'll vet more next week and we have even in the last couple weeks too, that righteousness, that is who you are. Walk in it. Rejoice in it. Hope in it. Because until we begin to realize it, listen, we'll, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll get some of what God has for us in this life. But listen, He has so profoundly so much more for us. And, and I'm, listen, let me just be very clear here. That does not mean wealth. That does not mean health. Okay? It, it means more of God. It means more fulfillment. It means more joy. It means more hope. It means more of these things that point us to a truer, greater reality that God is God and is holding all things together and pours out grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy to those with whom he knows. Okay. That's what we're being called to. That's who we are in Jesus. The standard of teaching, and I just want to take a moment just to read a few verses because there's so much talk, and listen, again, a lot on the university of there's no real standard, right? That there's no real morality, there's no standard of living, it's live how you want to live, be a good person, whatever you want to insert is the kind of cultural, philosophical ideal of the day. There is a standard. The Bible says this, and I'm just going to read four verses. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. 
Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That guy was a fan of that one. Second <laughs> Peter 1.20 and 21, this last one says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There is a standard given via the Holy Spirit to us. We find it in Scripture. Don't, listen, don't, all of, all of the, there's no standard, there's no, there's no truth. I'm just going to it, it, it just blinds us to the reality that we're in one of these two camps and those in Christ should be here, should see our identity here, walk in this one. Don't be deceived, for lack of a better term, by that idea. It's there for us that we would walk in new hope and love. Lastly, verse 18, our new title. And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of Righteousness, again, obedient, obedient from the heart. So much of what we long to do in this world, and I've had a lot of conversations with you guys, I know it and I see it, I see it in myself all the time, is that we seek and desire to be our own masters, right? So, okay, you're telling me sin used to enslave me? Great. Jesus set me free? Fantastic. But now I'm free to be my own master, No one's over me. I make my own decisions. I know what is best for my life, right? This is the, I mean, I would say 90% of the people I taught, it's, no, nothing has bondage over me. I I control my life. I'm going to contend with you right now that there could not be a greater lie in this world. Because the belief that you are in control, regardless, it's just not true. It's because from day one, we are being fed continuously and constantly the different ways of how we should view things and we respond to those things by attributing righteousness to them. This is the best way. My life will be best lived based on a magazine I read, a movie I watched, or a guy I like. You do not control yourself. You are either wooed by the worlds or you're wooed by God. The reality for those in Christ Jesus is that we are truly here. We need to walk in it. Okay, well, we're going to break down. Listen, the goal of this, ready? The goal is not no master. The goal is the right master. Okay? The goal is not no enslavement. It's the right enslavement. It's finding where we should truly be positioned. And that's in the perfect loving, wise, knowledgeable, graceful, kind, and gentle head of Christ. That he has called us into his body, his family. That is the perfect and righteous master that we so, excuse me, seek. One of my favorite uh, football coaches, and we'll kind of land with this, and one more thing, um, Tom Landry. uh, If you guys are familiar with him, Tom Landry said this, and he was talking about leadership. And he was talking about uh, really his football team and the future where they were going. But he had this. And he says, leadership is, is getting someone to do what they don't want to do to achieve what they want to achieve. Okay? Uh, his desire was to get his team to do some stuff they did not want to do that they would be able to achieve what they want to achieve. So for him, I'm sure it was probably a lot of running, a lot of working out, some different 
I, you know, I don't know, some stuff, right, that made them the best possible team they could be. Why? Because they wanted to win a Super Bowl. For us, listen, I, and I've, I actually polled a few people for this just to confirm my suspicions. But if I were to come to you and say, hey, how would you feel about peace and hope and love and fulfillment and kindness and forgiveness and generosity and on and on and on, right? If I, gave, I said, how do you feel about those things? You'd be a fool to say they're dumb, right? Not, there's not a person here who would say, nah, you know, I'm really good on peace right now. I'm going to choose unrest, right? You know, I, I'm good on the forgiveness. I would prefer condemnation. You know, I, I, I'm good. No, see, we don't do that. Every single person, and regardless of your story in here, this is regardless of your story, in here, your, your desire, my desire, are those things, are fulfillment and hope and love and peace. That is what we long for. It's just that we have differing opinions on how we get there. God has an opinion. He has a right. He has a standard and says, Christian, this is who you are. Stop dabbling in another way that just pulls you from your true identity. Because you're missing out on all that I have promised those who are in my family. As a, listen, as a community, we, we got to sit in this. We've got to marinate in this. We've got to get this. That we would from the heart, live it out. Be changed from the inside out. Not just, listen, not our behaviors. Not, listen, and even the girl that I spoke with that service said, listen, okay, I get what you're saying. Yes, the behavior, do I think it's sin? Yes, I do think it's sin. Do I think you should stop? Probably because it's destroying your life. But it's not about the action, what's going on in your soul, what's going on in your heart. Do you realize this is where God has you? This is where he's positioned you. This is the reality of who you are. Man, why walk in something less than what he wants for you? if this is actually truly better? Do we believe that God isn't lying? Do we believe that God's not lying? That when we open up the Bible and we read this stuff and we say, okay, God, you say that this is, this is the fulfilled life? Okay, I do want that, but that means I have to live this way? Okay, if that's true, then I want that enough that I'm going to understand and sit in my true identity and walk it out. And here's why we can, and this is the last thing that we'll land on, and why we will come and we will sing and we will rejoice and we'll take communion, we'll give, we'll do all that because of this. Because in our slavery, when we were here, and listen, if there's anyone in the room who is here now, right, that you feel that no sin masters me, the world masters me, I don't know Christ, listen, if that's where you're at, fine, listen. Here's why we rejoice, here's why we'll sing is because there was a debt that need be paid as slaves that we could not pay ourselves, right? That we were so steeped in this thing, right? That we were so bogged down, we were so weighed down, we were so stuck in our slavery, we could not be bought out. There was no redeemer, there was no one there for us. We could not, it was on an indentured servant situation where if we worked enough, we did enough good things, we could find ourselves on the other side walking off the farm and doing, no, very much in the same way we line up with the cultural version of what we understand of slavery in our country because there was no way out until someone intervened. Okay. Someone intervened who could pay the necessary price for your and my freedom. So Jesus, right? So, so, but thanks be to God 
that Jesus came. Amen, right? But thanks be to God that Jesus came, that the Son of Man became, humbled himself, became human, lived a perfect life amidst temptation, amidst sin all around, amidst hurt, amidst pain, lives the perfect life, dies the death that you deserve, that I deserve, that song that we sang earlier, right? That we made in your hands would then pierce yours through, straight to my heart. That Jesus buys your freedom out of this slavery, and listen, never to return. Never to return. So your identity is now solidly founded and grounded in Jesus and in his work. So if you're here and you love Christ, that is who you are now Walk in it. And we'll look at some of those implications next week. If you are here, continue asking questions because I'd say this. Get a better, get, get the best possible picture of what this really is. Do not be deceived by what the world might say this life is best lived as. It's just not. There's, and there are many things that this world offers that are great and good and we receive and we love and we take part in, right? Soccer, that's one, big time, okay? But... But it's when we take many of the things that are offered and what they do is distort and pervert and break what God does have for you. And my hope is again, and we'll land with this, last line. Sit in. I do say it a lot. Sit in. (laughs) Constantly, it's like a spaceship. It's always landing. Uh, Slow land. Sit in your reality. Okay, I mean... As we sit here and reflect for a couple minutes, we do it every week, right? Just, just sit in who you are. Sit in the reality. Think about Christ. Think about the new identity. And then next week, we'll talk about how great it is to actually be enslaved to Jesus. We're going to get into that because there are blessing upon blessing, mercy upon mercy, and grace upon grace. Amen?